for me, being married 25 and a half years and having five beautiful, beautiful kids, three daughters and two sons, it is such a, a blessing to be a dad and <clears throat> never, never been a perfect dad, but I definitely do the best that I can, um, you know, when I can, right? How many of us know we do? We do the best that we can. You know, as you watch that video, there's such a, such a great video and it brings up a lot of good things about being a dad and what dads do. Sometimes when you're younger, how many of us realize we don't really realize in our homes what we have in, until one day when you leave? And usually when you move out is when you realize all that moms and dads do for you. You know, it, it starts to come together. I can remember <clears throat> as a kid, one of the things that baffled me was, it seemed like when I got in trouble, my dad would make me harder than he would make my sisters. And it really made me upset, because be like, why do I get all the hard spankings and they hardly get anything? It's not fair. Until I had my own daughters, and it's like, well, it's because daughters are perfect, right? So they don't, they don't need as many spankings, right? And, and I can remember as a young kid, like, why is my dad spanked so hard? That was in the day when spanking was cool, okay? I know spanking's not cool today, but back in the day, parents, fathers, you know, moms, they spanked, even principals used to spank back in the day. And so, but I can remember, it's like, wow, why is my dad, he's so mean and he's so hard on me, so the discipline is just rough, why? What did I do? Just because I, you know, beat up my sister, threw a rock at her head, why would I deserve a spanking? You know, why would I, you know, what is it that I really have done that bad that I deserve a spanking? And I don't remember when, I just remember, you know, it came to me one day, and I really realized that the hard discipline was good for me. And I remember writing my dad, I don't know if it was Father's Day or if I just wrote my dad a card, but I thanked him for the hard discipline because I realized that it was what he did, even though I didn't like it, I didn't appreciate it, and I thought he was mean when he spanked me as a kid. I realized at some point that it really, really was good for me. Dad, love you, happy Father's Day. Appreciate you. This morning, I'm excited as we get to celebrate. We get to talk about fathers. We get to talk about Father's Day. We get to talk about a few different things. If you have your Bibles, we're going to jump into Genesis chapter 1, starting verse 27. It says that God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And then he blessed them, and he said, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth Govern it, rain over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, all the animals that scurry along the ground. He goes on in chapter 2 and he says, this explains why a man leaves a father and a mother and is joined to his wife and the two are united into one. You know, in the very, 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 very beginning, God's plan was for a family. In the very, very, very absolute beginning, God says, I created man and, and woman in my image. And I created them, he said, to fill and to multiply the earth. Fill and multiply the earth. So if you're sitting next to your wife, husband, wink at each other, he said, fill and multiply the earth, right? Fill it up. That's God's, one of the first things that he asks us to do. One of the greatest things that he asks us godly people, men and women, to do is to fill the earth, to create, to pass on, to teach to our kids what it means to follow God. From the very, very, very beginning, God's plan was for us dads, for us moms, to have a family, to be together. 
You know, one out of four kids live without a dad today. I shared this with the men on, on Thursday night, but one out of four kids live without a dad today. 70% of kids who become criminals are fatherless. 80% of rapists are fatherless, come from fatherless homes. 90% of the homeless in our world today live, have lived without a dad. And kids, boys and girls, absolutely struggle from self-esteem issues when there's no dad in the home. It's a pretty crazy number to think that one out of four kids today live without a dad, that 70% of kids without a dad become criminals, 80% of the rapists without a, become a rapist because they don't have a dad in the home. 90% of the homeless come from a fatherless home and girls and boys who struggle with confidence and self-esteem because there's no dad in their life. Dad means something. D-A-D, it absolutely means something. And some of the statistics and percentages are crazy and it's horrible out there of what it means to be in a home without a dad. But just because sometimes dads are in the home doesn't mean that they're physically, spiritually, mentally, emotionally present either, right? Because how many of us know that at times men can be watching sport and though they're there, they're not really there, right? How many of us know sportsmen who when the TV's on and there's a game and it's their favorite team, they're there but they're not really there? For me, I like Star Wars, so if you know, you're know you into the new Obi-Wan Kenobi series, you know I could be sitting there and present, but it doesn't mean I'm really there if you talk to me, right? And all of us, really, how many of us we know throughout life that, that any one of us, we can struggle with that because how many of us know what the device is? How many people get on their device and though they're at work or though they're in a conversation, they are looking at their phone, their phone is there, and so for a lot of people, how many of us realize in our world today we might be present, but we're not really physically, spiritually, mentally, emotionally there? We all make mistakes. How many of us can look at our dad's mom and say, you know what? They made so many mistakes, it's not even funny. And then how many of us, as when we become parents, we say, how many of us, we made our own mistakes? We're not perfect. But it's really, it's not what we have done. We, we should take what we've done, where we've failed, but it's what we're gonna do, right? And so today, my main text starts in Genesis chapter 35, as I believe the man in the story gives us some very good things for dads, for moms, for families. If you have your Bibles, Genesis chapter 35, starting in verse one. So God said to Jacob, get ready to move to Bethel and settle there. Build an altar there to God who appeared to you when you fled from your brother Esau. Jacob told everyone in his household, get rid of all your pagan idols, purify yourself, put on clean clothing. We are now going to Bethel where I will build an altar to the God who answered my prayers when I was in distress. He has been with me wherever I've gone. Verse four, they gave Jacob all their pagan idols and their earrings. He buried them under the great tree near Shem. As they set out, a terror from God spread over the people in all the towns of that area so that no one attacked Jacob's family. And so this morning as we, we pull up Jacob, and I think there's some things that he says to his family that are important for us dads, they're important for moms, they're important for families in general. I think it's also important to know Jacob's backstory. And Jacob was born a twin, nothing wrong with being a born a twin, right? And while he was in the womb, he would fight with his brother. He would fight with his brother, and as, you know, the mom is wondering, what the heck is going on? She's praying, she's asking, and God says, you know, there's, there's kind of war between these two boys. As brothers, we all know, like to fight, and, 
you do all those things. But she said, but God said to her, the younger will be, you know, the master or the Lord over his brother. And as the two babies are born, the older brother Esau comes out. And there was always kind of a, a bitterness, a, like an anger, a little bit of a hatred towards one another. And we see that with one day when Esau, he was a hunter and he went out hunting. And when he came back in, he was so hungry. He was starving to death. And he was starving to the point where he felt like he was going to die. And so he says to his younger brother, who was probably just born a few minutes later, but anyway, his younger brother, feed me. And he says, I'll feed you if you give me your birthright. I'll feed you. I'll feed you if you give me your birthright. Now, for them, the birthright is everything. This is all that they're going to inherit. This is all that they're going to get when dad passes away. This is all that makes them the man and the oldest in the household. And he's like, I'm going to die right now. I'm going to die because I'm so hungry. What good is my birthright? And so his older brother Esau, he tricks him into giving him the birthright over a bowl of red stew, over a bowl of stew. Can you imagine trading, you know, hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars away just for a bowl of soup? You know, it's sad because we as people sometimes, no matter how good we have it, no matter how good we have it, sometimes we'll trade away the best things in our life over a little hunger. Sometimes we'll give away the best things in life just because we're a, a little hungry. As time goes on, the dad was getting ready to die, and the mom, she actually got in on, on tricking the father as well. But not only did Jacob want the birthright, he also wanted the father's blessing because when, the, when a father passed away, he would send a blessing over the oldest, and it would be like a protection, and it's almost like a prophecy. This is what my son's going to do. He's going to be blessed. He's going to be protected. He's going to do all these great things. And so when his wife realized that he was dying and he was about to give the blessing to the oldest, she runs to the younger brother, Jacob, and she says, you need to go in there, and you need to do this, you need to do this. And so Jacob in this story, he tricked his brother out of the birthright, but then he goes and he, he puts on... Um, some clothes that smell like his older brother, and he does all kinds of things just so that he can s smell and taste and all those things like his older brother. And when he stands before the dad, th dad says, your voice sounds like Jacob, but you smell like Esau. And then he steals his older brother's birthright. When uh, the older brother realizes what his younger brother done, he wanted to kill him. He wanted to murder him. And so mom helped him get out of there, and he's, he's running away. And as he runs away, he stops for the night. And as he stops for the night, Jacob has this dream, and there's this stairway to heaven. And God says to him, I'm going to be with you. I will protect you. I'm going to watch over you. Now, even though this, this guy, this young kid, he, was a, he, he liked to steal, he liked to hurt people, all the wrong things that he did, here's God, and he's communing with Jacob. And he says, I'm going to be with you. I've called you. I've called you to be the head. I've called you to, to, to be a leader. And so he says all these things to him. And when Jacob wakes up, he says to God, God, if you indeed do what you just said that you would do, I give my life to you, and I will serve you, and I will follow you, and I even give a tenth of all that I have. And so this morning, I wanted to give that backstory before we jump into what I feel like Jacob points out. Time passes by, he comes back, he reconciles with his older brother, they're best buddies. Jacob, how many of us know that when we make a mistake, we pay for our mistakes? And so Jacob had to pay for his mistakes. His uncle made him pay for his mistakes. When you do bad things, they will absolutely come back to you. Jacob had to work 14 years for one woman. 
right? How many men today would work 14 years for the woman of the dreams? I know I'd work for my wife, of course, but how many guys out there would spend 14 years, sweat, tears, and all of that, and he was tricked, and the uncle took advantage of him, and the uncle did all kinds of things to him, but for him, because he loved his woman and his wife so much, he was willing to work that hard, and so all that time had passed, and he'd paid for some of his mistakes. He now sits, and he's listening, and he's listening to God, and so point number one I, w- I want to make this morning is I feel that Jacob points out great things as a man for a family that Jacob listened for God. There's, you know, if you were here Thursday night, one of the things I love that Sixto was talking about is listening. And listening is a massive part of life. Listening is a big, big, big part of life. It's one of the things that some of us, we have the hardest time doing is listening. Jacob spent years of his life, made a lot of mistakes, then made some right choices, and things began to turn and change for him. And as he did, he listened for God. There's a difference between listening and listening for God. God is, if God continually speaks, if God uses his creation, if God uses the sun, the moon, the stars, if God uses the ocean, if God uses the ground, if God uses the summer seasons and the heat and the sunshine, if God uses the rain, if God uses every breath that we breathe in and breathe out, if God is continually speaking through his creation, the question is, do we listen for him? In order to be a great man, in order to be a great woman, in order to be a great person, we have to listen for God. We need to spend time listening for God and what he wanted to say. Secondly, we need to listen to God because just because we hear God doesn't mean that we're going to do what he says, right? Just because we hear something, how many times have we heard God say something and we just push it off? How many times have God said something to us? You know, one of the most common things and the easiest illustration is giving, How many times have you ever heard someone talk about giving and you feel motivated and you feel like, ah, I should give or I should give a little bit more. But as soon as you hear that voice, what do you do? Get away from here. Get away. So many of us, we listen for God, but when we actually hear him, do we actually do what he says? The greatest things that we have to do as men is learn to listen for God, for him. What is he saying today? What is he saying in this moment? What is he saying for me? What is he saying for my wife? What is he saying for for my kids? What is God saying? Listening. The greatest voice. The greatest voice. The greatest, absolute, most important, number one thing that we as people must listen to is the voice of God. Listening, looking, waiting. Because it's God's voice that delivers. It's God's voice that saves. It's God's voice that provides. It's God's voice that leads us from here into greater blessings. It's God's voice that does so many different things. And so for us, for our wives, for our kids, for our families, as men, as moms, as families, the number one thing, it starts with listening and looking for God to hear. And then listening to what he says. Second thing, Jacob he turns as after he listens to God, he, God tells him to go and build an altar. And he tells Jacob to go and build an altar exactly where he had met with them years before when he saw the stairway to heaven. And so God gave him some direction, and God gave him, him in some instructions. One of, the, one of the things that I love about God is that God just doesn't say, now there are times I believe where God says, you need to do this. And there's nothing else that he says. 
But I do think that there's times when God speaks and he gives us very clear instructions and directions. And he gives that to Jacob. He says, this is where I want you to go. There's this place I want you to go to. I want you to go to Bethel. And I want you to to build an altar, and I want you to call upon me there. And so he gives him some very, very specific things that he asks Jacob to do. And he turns to his family, and he's able to translate that to his family. God gives him a job. God gives him a direction, and then he turns, and then he does it. I think about Noah when I think about building for a second. And back in the day when Noah was asked to build a boat, there had been no boats, Nenny, nothing like the ark, right? The ark is one and a half football fields in length. This thing is massive. Nothing had it been seen like this ever. And God asked Noah to build this massive boat. But why? Why would he build a boat? Because judgment was coming. Because God was going to flood the earth. God changed time and history with the flood. God changed the landscape of this earth by the flood. When the rains came down, when the firmament of water that was around the earth came crumbling and came crushing down, it changed everything in the earth in that moment. Created an immediate ice age. It created so many different things. So yes, there was animals that were frozen. There were so many things that happened with just that explanation of the flood. But he asked him to build something that he'd never seen before, to do something harder. In my mind, to build a boat like that, harder. Whoa, that's like, no way. That's a lot of nails. That's a lot of glue, right? That's a lot of wood. Where did all the wood come from? Those poor trees, right? He built this boat. And I think that for Noah in this moment, how many people looked at him and said, this dude is crazy? What is he doing? What does he think he's doing? Why is he building? What is he building? What, what's going to happen? And obviously, as they got closer and they realized what it was, they still, they hadn't seen rain. So they're still saying to themselves, what is this guy doing? He's crazy. What rain? What water? What is he talking about? But when the water came and when his family was on that boat, and when there was people, unfortunately, who were there watching and died, how many wish that they didn't make fun of Noah, but that they were on the boat with Noah? God asked every one of us, like Noah, to do something great. God asked every single one of us to do something bigger than ourselves. And while it's being built, it takes time and energy and love and TLC. And many people don't understand and many people don't get what we're building. But God in here is calling all of us to be construction workers and build something, something that reflects his name, something that's going to do something great. And for Noah and his family and for all the animals, the boat saved their lives. And what God asks you to do, it saves people's lives. When we listen for his voice, it saves people's lives. When you listen to what God asks you to do, it saves people's lives. And so he tells them, I want you to go and build me an altar. And he turns to his family. It was something for Jacob that he needed to fulfill. He promised God that he would come back to this place and that he would build an altar. And so it was something for Jacob that he wanted to fulfill. In Genesis chapter 28, verse 18, it says, The next morning, and this is the explanation, Jacob got up very early. He took the stone. He rested on his head against, and he set up upright as a memorial pillar. He poured olive oil over it. He named that place Bethel, which means the house of God. And then Jacob made this vow, if God will indeed be with me and protect me on this journey, and if he will provide me with food and clothing, and if I return safely to my father's home, then the Lord will certainly be my God, and this memorial pillar I have set up will become a place for worshiping God, and I will present it to God, a tenth of my 
income and everything that he gives me. And so for Jacob in this moment, in the story that we pulled up this morning, he fulfilled and he was doing what God asked him to do, to come back to this place of worship. He spent years running, hiding, working, wrestling with God, but now at this moment, it was just time to worship, and it was just time to listen for what God wanted him to do next. As he turns to his family, he says something very weird and crazy. And as a godly man, why didn't he say it before? But he turns to his family and says, I want you to get rid of all the gods in the house. I want you to get rid of all the idols in the house. When this word that he used there means divided loyalty. And so he turns to his wives, he turns to his kids, and he says, I want you to get rid of everything that divides you, that separates you and God. Go through your house. And he'd been with his family for how long? He'd had his wives and kids for how long? But at this moment, remember, it's not about what we used to be, what we used to do, and and daddy, mommy mistakes that we used to make. It's about the moment that we live right now. What can I correct right now? And he turns to his wives, he turns to his kids, And he says, we're not going to live a divided lifestyle anymore. We're not going to divide ourselves between us and God anymore. This family moving forward, we're going to dump the junk. We're going to dump the idols. We're going to dump the things that divide us and separate us from God. And we're going to move forward. And then he says to him, I want you to purify yourself. I want you to take a bath. I want you to get cleaned up. I want you to cleanse your heart, your mind, and your soul. You're going to get ready because we're going to go worship God and be in his presence. And he turns to him and then he says, I want you to change your clothes. Now, why is that interesting, changing your clothes? How many of us know back in the day, you know, dating back 6,000 years ago, they didn't have a washer and dryer? How many of us appreciate a nice washer and dryer? How many of us appreciate, you know, iron and steamer and, and dry cleaners? How many of us appreciate the nice, good, clean clothes we have? It's nice, right? They didn't have it back then. You know, his sons, something that we didn't read this morning, but his sons did something very grotesque. They went through a village and murdered the whole village. Jacob's sons, they took advantage. There were some boys, young boys, who took advantage of their sister, and they got upset. And so when, when Jacob turns to them and he says, you need to change your clothes, there was, there was blood stains on their clothes. There was things on their clothes that reminded them and everybody around them of their past and what they've done. They did things that were grotesque. They did things. They got angry, and they did things. And so Jacob turns to me and says, I want you to get rid of your clothes. Change your clothes. We need to get rid of the signs and the smell and the stains of what we did because now we're going to move forward and we're going to do something different. And he says to them, he tells his family exactly where we're going. We're going to go to Bethel, the house of God. We're going to church. We're going to worship. We're going to surrender our lives you know, Friday when I got home from work, um, I get home and there's always things happening and shaking and moving on. But as I got home Friday, my daughter was watching this um, movie by Jeremy Camp. Well, it's not by Jeremy Camp, but it was made about Jeremy Camp and the story about I Still Believe. I don't know if you heard his story. But Jeremy Camp is a singer, songwriter, and um, for this young man, he got married at a young age. And the woman, the young lady that he fell in love with, she got cancer and she died at a young age. And so as he was traveling and as he's going through this journey, you know, he married her knowing that she was sick, right? And he married her not knowing if this girl was going to make it. And, and when, how many of us as believers, when we know something's wrong, most of us as believers, we, we're going to believe for the best. We're going to hope for the best. 
And so for this young man who I can't imagine, you know, getting, you know, married and going through something that's so, so tragic and so horrific, but he sings this song, you know, I Still Believe. If you haven't heard it before, I Still Believe. But as I was sitting there, and I'm, I'm fighting back the tears because it's kind of an emotional, you know, movie, and, and of course I don't have sweaty eyes. I'm not crying right now, you know, and I'm being a man. But there was something spiritual that was happening in that moment. There's something about that story. There's something about that song that says, I still believe. No matter what happens, I still believe. You know, as Jacob is going and he's telling his family, we are moving this family forward in worship. We're going to the house of God. We're going to church. We're going to give everything that we have for what God wants us to do. You know, sometimes what we don't realize as I started last week in bilingual part one, next Sunday we're going to be in bilingual part two. But one of the things that we don't realize is God asks us, he says, listen, to be the greatest person alive, it's not what you go and achieve. To be the greatest person, it's not how much muscle you have and what you look like. It's not how many great things that you can accomplish on your own in this earth. If you want to be great in this life, you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's it. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You will receive power to be my witnesses, to do things great. I don't know about you, but I don't think I could raise the dead by myself. And I don't know about you, but I don't think I can just walk up to someone and wish that they could be healed and made whole. But when God's Spirit is inside of me, there is nothing that could stop me. When God's Spirit is inside of you, there's nothing that can stop you. When you're asking the Holy Spirit to fill you, when you're asking the Holy Spirit to empower you, when you're asking every single morning and surrendering, Holy Spirit, fill me up. Do something great inside me for other people today. Use me to do something. See, sometimes what we forget is that our earthly lives should be dominated by our spiritual life. And for years, Jacob's earthly life was dominated by how he lived and by what he did. But at this point in the story, he turns and he says, from now on, it's our spiritual life that's going to dominate the rest of our life. I used that quote last week, which I love, as many of us people have heard before. How many people are so spiritually and heavenly minded that they're no earthly good? But yet today, it's flipped and it's the opposite. How many believers and how many Christians are so earthly minded that they're not spiritually good, that they're not spiritually good. There's so many people who are so earthly minded at times that we're missing the voice of God. We're missing the great things that he's saying. We're missing all the wonderful things that he's asked us to do. And so for Jacob, as he's obedient to God, as he's obedient to what God asked him to do, as he's obedient, it says that in this story, God put fear in the hearts of every single person that they traveled by. Jacob was faithful. Jacob decided, I'm going to do what God asked me to do. And what was the result of his obedience? Obedience is one of the most powerful things that you will do in life. Learning to obey what God asks you to do when you don't feel like it. When you don't want to. Even when, and there are times that we want to be good, right? But obedience... Deuteronomy, they lay out obedience this way. It says, if you fully obey the Lord your God and carefully obey his commands that I'm giving you today, the Lord your God will set you high above the nations of the world. You experience all of these blessings 
if you obey the Lord your God. Your towns, your fields will be blessed. Your children and your crops will be blessed. The offspring of your herds and flocks will be blessed. Your fruit baskets, breadboards will be blessed. Wherever you go, whatever you do, you will be blessed. The Lord will conquer your enemies when they attack you. They will attack you from one direction, but they'll scatter from you in seven. The Lord will guarantee a blessing on everything you do and will fill your storehouse with grain. The Lord your God will bless you in the land he's given you if you obey the commands of the Lord, your God, walk in his ways, the Lord will establish you as his holy people as he swore that he would do. Last couple of verses. Then he says that all the nations of the world will see that you're people claimed by the Lord. They will stand in awe of you. The Lord will give you prosperity in the land that he swore to your ancestors to give to you, blessing you with many children, numerous livestock, abundant crops. The Lord will send rain at the proper time from his rich treasury in the heavens and will bless all the work you do. You will lend to many nations, and you will never need to borrow from them. You know, so this morning, as we kind of start to wrap up this morning, Jacob, through all the things that he went through, and I think for him and his family, there was a few things that he learned in his life and a few things that he points out for family life. And so as you kind of go through them, you know, number one, that he had a backstory and he had some bad choices in his past, but he learned from them and he changed. At that moment, Jacob was ready to listen and we have to be ready to listen. We have to be seeking and, and listening at all times, 24-7, as men and women, for ourselves, for our kids, for our lives, our livelihood, the listening for the voice of God. It doesn't mean that we walk around with headphones and we don't talk to anybody and we don't do anything else in life. But now, I think that the season we live in, how many of us know it is still crazy outside? There are still so many things happening. The war that's happening now, it's going to get 50 times worse over there. There are so many horrific, horrible things that are happening still in our world today, and it's only going to get worse. But as, as Christians, does that mean that we just run and hide in caves? Or does God want us to just continue to do the good things that he's put us here to do every single day and not get focused on the noise and everything that's happened over there, right? But it's only going to get worse. That's why listening for his voice is so important. Listening God, what is it you want for me? God, what is it you want for my wife? God, what is you want for my kids? God, listening. God, I'm here to listen this morning. God, I'm here. I'm going to stop talking, and I'm just going to listen. God, I've prayed the 30 million things on my, my prayer request this morning. Oh, God, now I'm just going to listen for you. God, I'm going to listen for your voice. That song we sang in worship this morning, waiting here for you. And putting on a song like that and just say, God, I'm going to wait for you this morning. God, I'm going to listen to this song. God, I'm going to sing the words of this song. God, I'm going to wait for your voice. I'm going to wait for you. I'm going to listen for you. Today, more now than ever, we must be believers who are listening to the voice of heaven. That we're listening for that voice. We, the greatest thing that we can do as a dad is teaching our, our family how to listen to God's voice. So listening, number one. Number two that God's put us all here to build something. Whether it's small, or whether it's big, like, like Noah's Ark, God's put you here to build something. God's put you to do something good on this earth. God has made you to be a builder. And one of the greatest things that we have to do is be faithful to build what he's asking us to build. Number three, it's a, always a good time to take inventory and say, is there anything that's divided my heart between you and God? 
God, is there anything in my heart that I need to dump and get rid of this morning that is causing division between me and my heart and you? And then he goes on, purify yourself, change your clothes, get rid of your past, and dwell in the house of God. And so this morning, I read those verses about obedience because there's nothing cooler than when you get blessed by God, when God rewards you, when God speaks to you. What does it take? Simple obedience. Listening. Simple obedience this morning. I'm going to close with this last verse. 2 Kings 6.15. When the servant of the man got up early the next morning, he went outside, there was troops, horses, chariots everywhere. Oh, sir, what will we do now? The young man cried to Elisha. Don't be afraid, Elisha told him. There are more that are on our side than are on theirs. And then Elisha prayed, God, open the eyes of this young man. Let him see. The Lord opened the eyes of the young man's eyes, and when he looked up, he saw the hillside that was surrounded with horses and chariots of fire. As we get ready to leave and we get ready to wrap up this morning and have some more dad burritos. We have some lovely dad burritos. Thank you to Mona Lisa and my wife Kim who got up early this morning to make those for us. There's enough for us to have one or two more. So after this, we do have donuts as well. So if you need sugar, help yourself. <laughs> but as we wrap up and we go and we get ready to do whatever we're going to do today, what are we going to do this week? God gave me this verse. And this verse in 2 Kings is such a, it's such a powerful verse because the young man in the story, he was so terrified by what he saw outside. How many of us have been terrified by what we see? How many of us, there's just things in life that terrify us? And this young man, and if, if you think that you're going to go to your death and you're surrounded by an army and this is your time to die, it is. It's terrifying. But the young man goes to Elisha and he says, what are we going to do? And Elisha, the prophet, he wasn't worried. He wasn't worried about what was going on. He wasn't worried about what was happening. And he says, God, open the eyes. Open the eyes of this young man so that he can see. And as he prayed this, the guy's eyes were open and he was able to see all the angels who were on his side. And they were greater than the enemies he was facing. Understand today, no matter where you go, no matter what you do, God is on your side. God is for you. He's not against you. God is there to fight your battles. God is there to push the enemy away. It's not our job to go and attack the enemy on our own. God will fight the enemies. God will push them out of your way. God will knock the enemies over. All we need to do is simply surrender and say, God, I know that you're for me. I know that you're not against me. I know that you're going to handle this today. So this morning as we stand, we're going to close in one more worship song, and we're going to pray this morning. As we get ready to pray and we get ready to close and we get ready to go out and do whatever we're going to do today, I'm asking you to close your eyes. 1 John 4, 4 says, But you belong to God, my dear children. You have already won a victory over those people because the spirit who lives in you is greater than the spirit who lives in the world. And so this morning, I want you and I want me to ask myself and yourself, are we walking around in the victory that God has given to us? He said the spirit who lives in us is greater than the spirit that's out in the world. But how many of us know the noise, the fear, 
the challenges. How many of us, we, we allow so many things to get us down. When God is saying, it's my spirit. He's in you, and he's given you victory, and he's greater than every single thing that you are facing, every single thing that you're going through, everything that you have gone through, everything that's ahead of you. The spirit of God is in you, and he is greater. He is greater. He's given you victory. God's spirit is greater than any challenge, than anything that we're going through this morning. The greatest thing that we do as men on Father's Day, the greatest thing that we do as moms, the greatest things that we do as families, it is rely and trust in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit gives us victory. The Holy Spirit raises these bodies from the dead. The Holy Spirit gives power to these bodies. The Holy Spirit who speaks and heals and leads. The Holy Spirit who's leading us closer to God. The greatest thing that we can do is to get closer to the Holy Spirit of God. And then pass that on to every single person. It is the Holy Spirit of God who is greater, who lives in us, who lives in us, who's given us victory, greater than any single thing that we face. With your eyes closed and heads bowed this morning, if you're here this morning and just the opportunity, you know, as a spiritual person, one of the things that we have to do is stop and take a spiritual inventory. And Jacob did that in this story because he told his family that they needed to dump the idols. And this morning, with your eyes closed, I just want you to have a heart-to-heart -heart with God and say, is there anything in my heart? God, is there anything that is holding me back from chasing after you? God, is there anything in me that is dividing me? God, is there anything that's dividing my thoughts, anything that's dividing my feelings? God, because you are number one. God, you are number one. But this morning I take a spiritual inventory and say, is there anything that is holding me down and holding me back? Anything that I have given myself to that is just not right? And God, with our eyes closed, if any of us here this morning, God, I've partnered with something, with the voice, with the spirit. God, with anything that's just not right, God, we just lay it down. God, and we give it to you this morning. God, may we bury the things in our life like they did in this story, the idols that were causing division. God, may we bury those things and put them deep in the ground. God, as we take spiritual inventory this morning, we just say we're sorry. God, for allowing things into our life that cause division. Kind of like they did in the story, they changed their clothes because they needed to get rid of things that reminded them of the past. God, help us when we leave today. If there's anything in our homes that remind us of our past, God, to get rid of them. That you're calling us to do spiritual great things. That you're calling us to do things greater than we can do ourselves. And that means getting rid of the stains and the smells of the past. God, so as we go home today, God, help us to change our clothes and help us to change out of the things, God, that are holding us down and holding us back and guilt and shame and regret and just things that we did that we should have never done. God, I pray that you would help us, God, to move forward into you and into better places. God, I'm with our eyes closed this morning. If you're here this morning and there's just an unsettling in your spirit, there's something unsettled inside of you, I believe that God's speaking to you this morning. I believe God's spirit is here and he's stirring. 
believe God's stirring in your heart. God is speaking to you. Maybe God's giving some directions. Maybe God's giving some instructions. Sometimes we don't know when it's God's voice because it sounds foreign to us. And I want to encourage you this morning, act on what God's asking you to do. And if you don't know if it's God, act on it and you're going to find out. If you're here this morning, today's a great day. It's Father's Day. And there's no better father in the world than our Heavenly Father. Father. 